welcome back to Off the Shelf. My guest this week is Cara Hunter. Now, I'm sure you've heard of Cara Hunter. She's had many, many best-selling crime novels, including Close to Home, In the Dark and No Way Out. We're here discussing her latest book with D.I. Adam Forley and his Oxford-based police team, Hope to Die, which came out, I think it was last week. I was uh, very kindly sent a copy by Tandem Collective, so shout out to them. I read it and it was amazing. And I can totally see how Cara's novels have sold more than a million copies worldwide. And I hear that the TV rights have been acquired. So I'm really hoping that uh, that turns into something. So welcome to the show, Cara. Thank you very much for having me. You're very welcome. Thank you very much for saying yes. So as I said, your sixth book featuring Adam has just come out. Uh, Tell us, how do you keep things fresh six books in? Well, it's always a challenge, I think, with a series. I mean, it's obviously some wonderful things about a series in that uh, you have uh, established characters, you can get more and more sort of insight into them each time you write about them. And hopefully your readers are quite invested in them as well, if, if, if they've read six or five um, before. Uh, so there's some wonderful things about it that you don't have to, to start all over again. But on the other hand, there's challenges because as, you, as you're sort of implying in your question quite rightly, how do you keep it fresh? And I think the only way you can keep it fresh is by constantly coming up with some really good underlying crime stories. So if you've got a really good um, twisty idea to work with, then obviously your characters can respond to that. You can put them in interesting situations where the, the, the underlying story might relate to something in their own past, for example. So you get some insights into them as characters which are brought out by the work they're doing. So I, I really do in, enjoy that, that aspect of it. But it's a very, very timely question, actually, Phoebe, because uh, I think one of the things that for me anyway with a series is to know when to pause, because Mm. I think to keep it fresh, it's quite a good idea to say, okay, I've done X many, whatever that number is, it'll vary from writer to writer. Um, Perhaps I now need to do something else and then come back to it. And the reason I'm saying all that is that that's exactly what I'm doing. Uh, The next book I'm writing is actually a standalone, not Oxford, not Adam, completely different in that sense. But I'm seeing it as one of my writer friends calls them palate cleansers, which I think is a really good good description. You know, you take a pause, but you're fully intending to go back and and take the series up again. And and I I think I'll go back to it with more energy and Mm. I'll be really sort of champing at the bit to get back to Adam and the team by the time I start that book. But um, there will be a pause the next the next Cara will actually be next year so but it'll be um a standalone and not a 40 book oh that is exciting how did you find because as you as you touched on before if you've written five books the character development it's you can still do some but a lot of the basis is already there how did you feel going back and writing characters from scratch again it's actually really stimulating and it's it's quite a different sort of book to to a 40 but there's some of the elements we can talk about if you like some of the elements I've deliberately brought across because they seem to go down very well with readers um but it's a different sort of setup so it it was actually really good to get my brain um thinking about doing things a bit differently um and working with people who weren't my my normal team so it's actually been a a real sort of busman's holiday You know, it's good going and doing something different and a change is as good as rest. (laughs) Well, and it sounds like it was a very successful busman's holiday. So I'm not not really sure that's something to complain about. No, no. Well, I've had I've had a great time doing it. And and, uh, I'm now on the what I hope will be the final edits and then it'll be ready to go. And then I'll take some downtime and just just wait, keep my fingers crossed and hope a good idea floats in for Adam. (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, you must, I'm not sure if you get this comparison, but a lot of um, long-standing book studios are of the thriller crime variety. Do you think that's just because there's so many interesting stories that can come out of investigating crimes? I suppose so. I mean, crime is the thing that everyone seems to want to read. It's it's fascinating that we are so so sort of fixated on it. In fact, I've just written a few pieces to go with the launch of Hope to Die about why we are so fixated on crime and particularly why true crime has become such a, a thing in the last last few years and why people are, are so interested in what can be very, very long podcasts, for example. You know, you can actually be going into a podcast that might last 12 or 13 episodes and people are sticking with them uh, because they're fascinated uh, about about that particular type of behaviour. Um, and also particularly the idea of justice, apparently, that, that's come up a couple of times. Yeah. We're, we're very interested in justice um, and the whole true crime area. It, it tends to revolve around that. It's either someone who's been put away possibly for something they didn't do. So you're looking at miscarriage of justice or it's an unsolved crime, in which case we have victims and victims' families who are still looking for justice. Mm-hmm. So I think that's part of the of, of the draw of, of true crime. No, I know exactly what you mean. So my day job is law. Whenever I say that, they say they ask me about crime and justice. No matter how many times I say I have never practiced criminal law and I'd never want to. <laughs> my husband's the same. He, he was a tax lawyer, so he's absolutely useless if you ask him about I can't use him as a person to, to ask questions about criminal practice because he's never done it. <laughs> yeah, well, I can imagine, like, no offence to your husband, I'm sure he's a great tax lawyer, but if I was arrested, I wouldn't want him. <laughs> of course not, you can the first idea. <laughs> so moving on to the five books you've chosen, the first book you've chosen is your favourite non-fiction book. So please mm-hmm. tell us which book you've chosen and why you've chosen it. Yes, this is a Simon Sharma book, and it's called Landscape and Memory. And it was just one of those books that you don't come across them that often, where you you just sort of get overwhelmed by a new insight and and something that you just hadn't thought about before. Uh, And he writes beautifully. I mean, you can tell that by, you know, any time you watch him on TV. I was going to say, I have to confess, I've never read any of his books, but I do religiously watch his TV shows. Well, it's a very similar sort of pleasure. He he writes like he he talks. So you can hear his voice if, if you're reading the page. And it's got this lovely sort of mellow flow to it. And just he wears his learning so lightly. You know, he's like sharing things with you. You don't feel you're being lectured at. And this particular one, Landscape and Memory, it is all about how it's particularly looking at European cultures, but also um, North America, about how um, the landscapes within which people have lived for thousands of years have, have sort of helped form our cultural understanding, if that makes sense. So he's looking at an example probably will help. But he looks, for example, at the idea of the forest in in. Jo- German culture, which is very strong. If you think about some of those yeah, amazing, I mean, I think Hansel and Gretel, Hansel and Gretel, and those are amazing romantic paintings of people in forests and mist, and 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 that is, is a really really strong idea about their national identity as well. And if you think going back to the Romans, when when the the, the Germans were actually one of the few uh, peoples who were able to to fight against the Romans in an effective way, the way they did that was by luring them into the forest, which was their natural habitat and a place that they 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 knew how to manage. Whereas, of course, the Roman legions weren't designed to fight in in, in among trees, and they they didn't cope at all. So, 
that's a fantastic example of how a, a natural environment has affected the way that a national identity has has formed. And, and the other one which I found fascinating was actually the Wild West. So the idea of this sort of cowboy idea and pioneering and going out into the unknown has affected American culture. And, and you know, it does still persist. This whole, whole idea of wanted, dead or alive. You know, it's, a, it's the same sort of idea of, of, of sort of dealing with this extraordinary wilderness uh, that's out there and ready to, uh, to be explored. And in the case of the 19th century people that conquered. Now, obviously, that's how they approached it. But fascinating book, wonderful insights, one, wonderful visual really recommend it I'm actually just really thinking of all the cowboy movies I know and they predate me by a long time and I'm sure they'll be making them after I'm gone that's so interesting yeah it is it's really interesting yeah really I really recommend it wow I think that's all there is to say about that book so moving (laughs) to the next book you've chosen which is your favorite book as a child now quick confession I wouldn't pick this book I'd pick one of his other books as my favorite book ever ah Uh, okay I think I know where you're going Tell us which book you've chosen and why you've chosen it. I chose The Lord of the Rings, um, which is not going to be a particularly uncommon choice. I'm sure sure a lot of people would be with me on that. Um, I first read it and I was about 12, I think. uh, And I was just, again, another moment of of utter revelation. Um, Not only did it sweep me along in terms of the drama and and just that the literally epic scale of it, But just the way he does things with words, uh, and for a 12-year-old who is a really avid reader, always had been, um, I, w- I was just entranced. That's the only word, and it's quite an appropriate word, I suppose, we're talking, by, by just what he can do with words and, and just how he can con- conjure emotion from words as well. And it, it gave me that love of language, which has never left me. I mean, I had it before, but it was enhanced you know, several degrees by that book. And it made me want to try to, to apply for Oxford to read English, which, of course, is very, very fam- yeah, famously taught there. Famously yeah. taught there. And I ended up doing that. And uh, I learned Anglo-Saxon because that's what you have to do. So it was fantastic to see the words that I was familiar with from, from the Lord of the Rings, like Theoden, which is actually the Anglo-Saxon word for Lord. But it becomes a name. Oh. I know it's fantastic. It was just like a sort of Easter egg hunt to sort of find it. Oh, that's where he got that from. You know, it's just, <laughs> it was just absolutely wonderful and um I still love it I still read it and it still has the same power over me and it actually helps inform some of my values at that age as well because it's you know a time when you're you're working out who you are and what you believe in that age and I think my love for nature my respect for nature very very much comes from that and having been brought up in a London suburb where there wasn't a great deal of nature to be honest uh, I I got my love of living things from from reading Tolkien and I can only thank him for that yeah long time listeners will know that my favorite book of all time is the hobbit and um, i was a bit like you i was a bit older but not an adult when i read it and yeah i was just blown away and the older i get the more of tolkien's work i read i realize that there is a bit of tolkien wisdom for every single scenario that you'll ever meet in your life yeah you're right you're absolutely right oh, yeah no i absolutely love him and he writes so beautifully and his descriptions are amazing and yeah I love him. I mean, I know this is a podcast about books, but controversially, what do you think of the film adaptions? Well, actually, um, I didn't really watch the Hobbit ones, so I can't really comment on those um, because unlike you, I'm not really a big Hobbit fan. Um, But the Lord of the Rings ones, I suppose I was about 97.5% enthralled with it. And there were just little bits that I didn't like that had been changed from the book or 
where I saw that Peter Jackson had sort of couldn't resist going back to being a horror film director, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which I, I wouldn't have had myself. Um, but most of it I just thought was amazing. And the casting was incredible. I mean, Viggo Mortensen was just Aragorn, which I was really worried about beforehand because <laughs> he, he has to carry so much of that book, that character. He does. And I remember watching the first one and we were getting up to Brie and I'm thinking, okay, it's brilliant until now. Fine, and of coming. Course, <laughs> Ian McKellen's fabulous, of course. But now, oh my God, we're going to get Aragorn. Is it going to be all right? <laughs> and it was. <laughs> Well, I'm very pleased you loved it. So moving on to your third book you've chosen, the book you'll always remember the first time that you read. And I've I've never heard of this book before, so I'm really interested to hear you talk about it. Oh, okay. Listen, I'm surprised you haven't. It's uh, The French Lieutenant's Woman by John Fowles. And it's... It's just, there is a famous film of it, actually, and it's very old now, I suppose. I'm just showing well, my I, age. I never, <laughs> I've never studied... I mean, I did English literature for A-level, but not really. I've never really studied uh, okay. it properly. So maybe if I had done, I, I would have heard of it. But no, I'm definitely going to add okay. it to it now. Well, the film still you know, stands up. I mean, it's, it's, it is older now, but it's Meryl Streep and, and Jeremy Irons. And it's beautifully... Meryl beautiful. Streep, so it's got to be great. Oh, she's fabulous. Um, and it's uh, filmed in Lyme Regis, which is where a lot of the book is set. But it's basically a, a Victorian novel written by somebody who was writing in the 1960s. And with all of the knowledge that someone in the 1960s has about the Victorian period and, and an ability to talk openly about things that were going on at that time, which certainly couldn't have been done in the likes of Dickens or George Eliot. You just couldn't say those things. So it's, it's fantastically well written and, and structured. And it's, it's really the first example of anyone doing that. I mean, many, many people have written neo-Victorian novels since then, some of which are very good, some of which aren't. <laughs> um, but his was sort of the first and hard to beat, to be honest. And it's just very knowing and very clever. And you get these asides from the narrator to you as you're reading the story. And oh, I like that. It's just brilliant. It, I can read it again and again and again. My, my copy has fallen apart. Literally, it's been read so many times. I always think that's a great one. So uh, my similar one to that is To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh, okay. And it right. wasn't in great condition anyway. I've read it a million times, as most wannabe lawyers have. My flatmate <laughs> borrowed it to take it on holiday and he was sunbathing with it. And apparently the glue melted and the book was just ruined. And he, he was really scared <laughs> to tell me, but I was like, it's fine. Right, that's happened. a new one most of the time it's they fall in the bath but having it melt yeah. in the sun's another one well that's that's what he said whether it's whether he just accidentally dropped it in, in the sea I don't know but I never I never saw it again so oh well at least you can think it, it died in a good cause yeah it did die in a good cause uh so I'm, yeah I'm glad he read it um but that was I've got you completely off topic there. So let's move on to the next book you've chosen, which is the best book you received as a gift. Ah, uh, yes. So this was given to me quite recently. It's quite a recent book, actually. It's called A Month in Siena, and it's by Hisham Matar. And would you like and to it's... shout out to the person that gave it to you? Uh, yes, my my best friend Sarah Wall, who is always giving me really lovely books. Actually, I That's have a to good choose... friend to have. She's a fab- well, she's a fabulous friend anyway, but she's also always sending me really lovely things that I wouldn't have thought of getting for myself. And she got me Patchwork as well, which is a lovely, another lovely book about um, clothes and working with textiles from a lady who had been at the V&A for a very long time as a curator of textiles. Anyway, I'll get off. That's another one. This one um, is A Month in Siena. So it's it's just a, a beautiful little jewel of a book. It's very small and it's it's about looking at, you know, 
literally a month in Siena, but looking at the, the way in which the city has affected uh, this this particular man as he was living there just for a month and and talking about the paintings and the architecture it's just it just sort of brings an atmosphere uh, to to life uh, and you really get a sense of the city and it's just a lovely little read you know like a little jewel of a book huh. i'm really getting into smaller books lately so i might mm-hmm. give that one a go yeah, it's it's really nice, like little self-contained chapters. Um, so it's almost like a series. Well, not short stories because it's not fiction, but that sort of idea, little yeah. vignettes one after the other. That's Lovely. Awesome. Yeah, that sounds so interesting. And a perfect summer read. Yes, absolutely. I mean, Sienna makes me think of lemons, olives, <laughs> holidays. Yeah, blue sky. <laughs> exactly. So moving on to the final book you've chosen, the book that makes you cry. Mm-hmm. You'd be surprised how often people pick this one because you'd think they wouldn't want to talk about a book that makes them cry but a lot of oh, people they choose this particular yeah. book no sorry oh, wow. they, they choose the category of ah uh, oh i see rather than this particular yeah. book right oh i see yeah. yes well um it was partly partly it does make me cry but it's partly because it's one of my favorite books and i was sort of trying to find a way of bringing it in if you see what i mean so this but it does definitely does come under that title it's Still Life by A.S. Byatt, which is one of her Frederica uh, quartet, um, the second one in that quartet, uh, which is about two sisters who um, who are born in the north. And it's, it's sort of loosely based on her own life, because, of course, her sister's Margaret Drabble, so two amazingly talented writing mm-hmm. sisters. And um, Frederica is the younger. She's quite fiery. She goes off to Cambridge and she's trying to forge her life in in a sort of creative world of sort of art crit- critics and things like that. Um, and Stephanie, the older sister, um, sort of stays at home and starts to starts a family. And and um, so we're, we're given this contrasting trajectories of their lives. Mm. And by the time we get to Still Life, which is the second of, of the books, as I mentioned, um, Stephanie has uh, two children. She's got a, a toddler and a baby. And Frederica's off in London, um, as I say, forging her career. Um, but the reason, I suppose this is a spoiler, but I can't really well not give you the spoiler given that I've got to explain why it makes me cry, is that the, there is a point about halfway through the book where uh, Stephanie, who's quite stressed and she's got too much on and, and, and too, too many things going on at once and she's got these two children, but she's doing her best. And um, a, a little bird comes into the kitchen and the little, her little boy is really worried about the bird and, and wants mummy to sort it out. And, and she's trying to, to do that. And the bird gets around the back of the fridge and, and she sort of lies on the floor to try and get the bird out and she's electrocuted. She, she dies, which comes out of nowhere in the book. You just don't think this is anything like this is about to happen. And the way, the way that's described, the, the way that A.S. Byatt can get inside the head of somebody who is going through that experience is just astonishing. And the first time I read it, I was on a plane. I was coming back from a business trip. So I was on my own and I was sitting there crying people were asking me whether I was right you know because I just it just came out of nowhere but it's so beautifully written and so so poignant after that when when our husband and our children are trying to cope with this astonishing and completely sudden loss amazing and I love A.S. by anyway I think everything she writes is incredible but that, that particular point. that was not a plot twist I saw coming <laughs> <No>. <laughs> wow 
I know it's, it's it's astonishing. So well worth just just worth if you're an aspiring writer, mm. it's worth reading by anyway for the quality of her writing. But to read that that book and just see how she deals with that episode, and it's an it's an object lesson in how to how to write. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, long term listeners will know this whole podcast came out of procrastinating writing my own stuff. I mean, it's very successful as procrastinating goes, but. <laughs> Oh, so you, but you don't want to be successful at that do you yeah well exactly you don't but here we are oh that's that's so interesting I mean listeners couldn't see my face when you said and then she got electrocuted by the fridge and you never think I know the fridge of all things I know it's set in the 60s so it's probably I don't think it's earthed properly or something there, there's yeah. some technical explanation oh yeah it might not happen now yeah appliances back then were a bit more lethal <laughs> than they are now uh but it and it's oh no I'm starting to well up just talking oh, about <laughs> no I'll definitely read it wow yeah that and you got the first one the first one in the, in the quarter mm. is very good too which is called um the virgin in the garden uh, the thing about the way that um certainly those early books in the Frederica quartet she's brilliant at uh, weaving a, a bigger theme through through the the stories. So the version in the garden takes place in, in fact, it's 1953 because it's coronation year. So it's uh, they're, they're putting on a play about Elizabeth the first, obviously in honor of Elizabeth the second. Um, and Frederica's playing the young Elizabeth in this play. So this whole thing is all woven through in 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 the book. And in the second one, um, still life, as the title might suggest, there's very much a sort of painting theme running through and part of the way through the story uh Frederica goes down to the to the south of France and starts seeing some of the landscapes that people like uh, you know Van Gogh had painted or whatever so there's sort of heat that she'd never experienced before because remember it's the 50s people didn't travel the same way so she gets a sense of light and landscape and color and 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 it's brilliant at at bringing that to life too so she's got this theme running through of the of of painting so it's brilliantly done okay now I want to read it (laughs) sorry if I sold it all four at the same time (laughs) now we've got to the end of your five choices if you had to pick one favorite out of the five you've given me I mean I feel like I know which one it's going to be I think it would have to be the Lord of the Rings just because it would keep me going I could I mean when I was a child I used to finish it and start it again straight away so if I was on a desert island it would keep me going I would be all right I mean, it would keep you going. That's interesting. I thought you were going to say still life. But yeah, Lord, no, as a fellow Tolkien fan, Lord of the Rings is an equally brilliant pick. Yeah, no one, I can't imagine many people listening are going to disagree too violently with that one. Not <laughs> so moving on to the five quick fire questions. Number one, fiction or non-fiction? Fiction. Number two, what's your favourite place to read? On the beach. Nice. Good choice. Good choice. Good choice. <laughs> Is there any author you have on auto buy? Oh golly, um, I've got a few. Some of my, my sort of writer, crime writing friends. No, no one only person. No, but but I mean, someone like Nikki French, I absolutely love. I'd always buy her stuff. Nice, nice, good choice. What's your favourite independent bookshop? Dawn's in Summertown. Oh, I think I know it's the one in Oxford and it's quite um, Yes, oh, yeah. Yes. I'm based in I'm based in Oxford, so they're they're the sort of local doors oh, local, and it's yeah. quite it's quite new and it's it's really lovely, you know, really lovely shop. They just organized it really nicely. Yes. Well we're big fans of independent bookshops on this podcast. And final <laughs> question, what book are you most looking forward to reading next? 
Oh, golly, now that really isn't a possible question. Um, Like I said, I'll talk to you about all these books and then I'll be like, I want to read all of them. And then I'll look at the (laughs) shelf and think, oh, they all are reading next. Um, (laughs) I'm going on holiday. So I'm taking next week and I'm taking some some of my uh, friends of early copies. It's one of the perks of being a writer is you get sent early copies of things. So I'm taking a few of those for for next week. So I'm looking looking forward to those. But I haven't got any one sort of, you know up in lights so it's just that I'm looking forward to all of them yeah and I I I don't know how you feel about this but I have a few writer friends now and I read their work and it's it's weird because I can it's although that it's not but like biographical or autobiographical I can see them in it which is yeah really nice yeah Yeah, it's funny actually because when you start doing this and your your friends didn't necessarily know you were going to and when I (laughs) some of mine come out and um people sort of say to me I didn't know you had that sort of a mind <laughs> a bit nervous. you write crimes yeah I see that <laughs> look, look at me going where did you get that from <laughs> it's, it's nice to keep your friends on their toes I keep saying to them you can't yeah. afford to upset a crime writer you know because you never know what might happen <laughs> or well I would actually say if they if they did something really bad instead of you know coming up with an elaborate crime you just make them a really horrible character yeah, well, there's always that possibility. I have put the names of my friends in a lot of my books, partly because I need a lot of names. It's yeah. the way that books are structured. I need witnesses and I need, you know, I need loads and loads of names. So a lot of my friends are in there. They've done all sorts of things. The one that amuses me the, mo- the most is I made a friend an appropriate adult, which, <laughs> which if you knew her, you'd know is really not appropriate. <laughs> but it makes me smile every time I come across that. <laughs> Love that. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show, Cara. I absolutely loved Hope to Die. And like I said, before I, I'd read it, I'd never read any of your books before. So now I'm going to go back and start the beginning. Oh, bless you. Thank you very much. That's always a nice thing to hear. <laughs> You're very welcome. Thank you very much. My pleasure. 